You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. I love Mark, but there are some portions of Scripture that my natural instinct is to just, well, let's skip to the next chapter. Well, when I say we're preaching through Mark, I don't get that privilege today to skip through the chapter. I have to speak on this this morning. And I'm I'm going to read the entire chapter of, of thir- entire chapter of Mark 13. And you'll see why some people want to skip over this. Some people love it and they want to live their lives in Mark chapter 13. I'm not one of those guys. So this morning I do want, I do feel like there's a word for us from Mark 13 that the Holy Spirit and and God is allowing me to share with you this morning. So I hope you understand the context. Let's read Mark chapter 13. And as he and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will these sign what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before the governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are about to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And father, his children, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my sake. But no one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation. Go ahead and take a break on that one. The abomination of desolation. That sounds awesome. Let's keep going. Standing where he ought not to be. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetops not go down, nor enter his house, or take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And the last for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it might not be in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been in the beginning of creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. 
But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give its, will not give its light and the stars will be falling from the heavens and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, let he come suddenly and find lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's all just breathe real quick. This passage of scripture is intense. It's heavy, and I think it's also it's often misinterpreted. And misunderstood. When I was a kid, um, I don't know about your background, what you grew up in, what you didn't grow up in, but I grew up in this um, this environment that was constantly awaiting his return. Constantly, like just you're just waiting. Like every every old lady in our church was like, "It's gonna happen today," like all the time. Like she was just amped up. And I remember being a kid thinking, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Not today. I'm not ready. And I, I'd go to bed, and I was a good kid. Like, I, I, don't, I, I did, like, nothing. You know, I was perfect. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but I remember so many nights I'd go to sleep, and I'd wake up panicked thinking, did the rapture happen? Did I get left behind? And I'd wake up, and I'd, I'd walk over to my sister's room, and I'd check in the door make sure she was still in bed. Okay. She didn't, she didn't get raptured. She's kind of bad, so I should, I'd go down the hall and I'd check in with my mom and dad. Because Je- if Jessica was still there, it didn't mean so much. It, it was kind of, it kind of helped me because I wasn't alone in this rapture thing, but she was still there. So if mom and dad, though, were still in bed snoring, I was good. It didn't happen. Like, and I remember constantly living in this fear of like just wondering, did I do anything wrong that I would miss this rapture and, and that... I'd have to face like flies coming out of the ground and dragons in the air and ah, fire and brimstone. I was panicked because what seven-year-old wants to deal with that alone with just him and his sister? That, that sounds like a, a movie. That, that's crazy. Just me and her dealing with the tribulation. Just That was the, the understanding that I kind of grew up in. I was constantly, so verses like this kind of panicked me. I'm like, I don't get any of this. Like, what is happening here? And there are lots of, of these types of passages in what Jesus says and, and, and what the apostles say. There's lots of this throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the end of days, the rapture, the return of Christ. What do all these things mean? And I think for us this morning, as we go through Mark chapter 13, we, be, we need to begin first to understand the setting. What is Jesus saying? Where are they at? 
with the first picture, we saw them coming out. It was the picture of the temple. The last few weeks, everything we've been discussing is Jesus doing ministry and teaching lessons to the scribes, to the Pharisees, to the disciples in the temple. And so they're walking out, and all of a sudden, one of the disciples are like, Jesus, check out this building. This is pretty awesome, right? Have you ever been to a building like that? We're just amazed at the architecture. I, I love architecture. I love buildings. Ash and I, when we were first married, before we had kids, we knew kids would take away our money. So we went to Europe. We got to see the Sagrada de Familia, which is basically the, the church of the family, in Barcelona, which they've been building over the last hundred years. You got to look it up. It's awesome. You walk through this thing, and there's so much detail just on the outside. There's like sculptures of everything, animals, fruits, biblical stories. It's awesome. So you stand there and you're kind of overwhelmed by these buildings. Most of you, you know what I'm talking about, being overwhelmed by architecture. So they're walking out of the temple and the disciples are like, this is a pretty nice temple. And Jesus is like, yeah, everything's going to be torn down. And then they keep walking. Can you, can, can you imagine that? Have you ever had that conversation where somebody says something absolutely ridiculous and then walks away? Or continues on with his day like nothing happened. So they get to the Mount of Olives, which is opposite of the, of the temple. And they're able to see from the Mount of Olives the temple. And finally, these, these disciples are like, hey, let's ask him about this. Jesus, what are, what are you talking about? Every, every rock's going to come down on the temple. That's, that's kind of a big deal. It's kind of, it'd be almost like, you know, us walking through the White House or the Pentagon and, and me walking out and saying, yes, I'm going to fall down tomorrow. And just like, keep going. You kind of want to know what I'm talking about. So the disciples ask him, what, what is this about? What are you saying? We gotta understand the setting. We also gotta understand biblical prophecy and biblical literature. Scripture isn't all historical fact. It's not saying that it didn't happen. That's not what I'm saying. It's not all written like a history book. Some parts of scripture are poetic, some parts are apocalyptic. And apocalyptic literature, you can't read as step one, step two, step three, day one, day. Literal figures, everything is actual. Some of it's very symbolic, understanding the symbolism for things. I hope you know what I'm saying here. So when you read these kind of literature, you kind of got to recognize that not everything is exactly the way it sounds word for word. The same way if I read in Song of Solomon and he's talking about this lady's neck being like a cedar tree, I don't think it was literally a cedar tree or her navels or cheeks like pomegranate. Is that what it is? Hopefully she didn't have big pomegranates on her cheeks. This is symbolism for something. And apocalyptic literature is also very symbolic, saying this is something is happening that's mega, and and it's not always sequential. That's why you can't read Revelations day one, day two. It's very apocalyptic, okay? So we've got to understand this when we look at this. See, some prophecies, in understanding prophecy, some prophecies in Scripture have multiple fulfillments. In the Old Testament, when they prophesied the Messiah, there were responses of things that actually happened very quickly after the prophecy. And there are other parts of that same prophecy that were fulfilled in Christ. And so prophecy is one of those things that could have multiple meanings, multiple fulfillments, multiple understandings. Not, none of them are wrong, but they can happen over... Does that make sense? I hope you get what I'm saying here. So we've got to understand that when we read portions like this, We've got to have this, par- this understanding of prophetic literature. What does this mean? In apocalyptic stri- scripture. See, when we begin to look at, it's called eschatology, is the study of end times. Understanding the end of all things, eschatology. 
And when it comes to eschatology, you can be pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, pre-wrath, pre-mill, millennium, amillennium, post-millennium, full preterist, partial preterist. Some of you guys' brains just exploded right now. You have no clue what I'm talking about. Good for some of you. There's so many different viewpoints on what will happen. What will this all look like? What will each thing, act, what does it actually represent? And so what some people begin to do is they begin to de- develop all these understandings and all these timelines and all these charts and all these graphs and pictures of four horsemen and all kinds of stuff happening. And I'm not saying that's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we can get hung up on the wrong thing of what is actually happening in Mark 13. All these different guys, all these different camps that I just talked about, they don't agree on any of that. They, they all disagree on whether the rapture will happen, won't happen, what will look like, will there be a tribulation, where's the church during the tribulation. We can, we can get lost in all this stuff. But there's some things that we need to really recognize did happen and will happen. And that's what I'm trying to point out this morning. I said about that verse, abomination of desolation. I think that's one of the coolest phrases. It sounds to me like a wrestling group. Here comes the abomination of desolation. That's like the coolest name. I I just think it's awesome. But what does this mean? And if you look at that verse, it's talking about the the temple being destroyed and the abomination of desolation being set up in in its place. And I said earlier about prophecy having multiple fulfillments. And this is my personal opinion. And I think, this is what I think. Some things did happen. In AD 70, the emperor, the Roman emperor Titus invaded Jerusalem and they tore down the temple. So that happened. When Jesus says not one stone will be left, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. None of us were born then. Way, way long ago. It happened already. In AD 67, Christians fled from Jerusalem to get away from persecution. So we, hear, we see this one whole passage about fleeing and running and pregnant women running, and hopefully they're not snow because snow and running pregnant women will be bad. AD 67, Christians fled from Jerusalem because of persecution, and in AD 70, it was destroyed. I believe, like I said, some of this it was an immediate thing. So when Jesus says not one generation will pass away, a generation literally back then was about 40 years. So from the time that Jesus was doing ministry in the AD 30s to AD 70, got about a generation. So in my mind, it looks like some of this happened. But I also, I'm reading this, and I'm like, some of this didn't happen. Some of this, if, if I'm taking this literally, some of this has not yet happened yet. The Son of Man has not come back again. Christ has not come back again. So what, what does this look like? There, when studying this, there were five different interpretations of what it means for the generation not passing away. Five different ones. So we can get lost in all of this. And so, like I said earlier, this is part of me that tends to avoid these things. Because I think that we can ha- I can have an opinion, you can have an opinion, and we could both be wrong. And that's okay. Josephus recorded in that time around... 8070, that 1.1 million people died, most of them Jews and Christians. This sounds like a bad time. This sounds like a tribulation to me. This sounds really, really bad. We're talking about Jesus and understanding what's going to happen and what everything's going to end up looking like. We can all kind of come up with our own thoughts and our own schematics. And um, 
I just have, have to have a conversation with my daughter, Haley, to find this out. According to her, Jesus is on a cloud in heaven, and also at the same time knocking in your heart trying to get out. That's what that thump thump is. She said that. Um, but she told her sister that thump thump in your heart is Jesus trying to get out of your heart. And I, I had to explain to her there's not a literal mini Jesus about this big. The doctors are listening. Oh, Jesus is in there knocking. But I remember one time about a year and a half ago, we're in the car, and Haley starts talking about Jesus on a cloud in heaven and how she can't wait to get a big ladder so we can climb up this ladder and go see him one day because we're all going to see him one day, but we got to climb the ladder first. I'm like, I don't remember that in here at all. Where is this ladder? Like, so we can kind of begin to hear verses, and if we don't understand them, we can kind of create this, what it's going to look like, these pictures. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying that... Some of them aren't right. I'm I'm just saying we can get lost. In responding to verses like this, I think there's three responses. Can I I go through them with you this morning? If you want to write them down, go ahead. But I think the first one that we can do when we see verses and and chapters like Mark chapter 13 is I think we can get stuck in fear mode. All of a sudden, we're panicking. Everything is the end of the world. Every time there's a new disease or a new war or a new president, Antichrist, three heads of the beast. It's all coming down now. I remember, I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've, growing up in charismatic and Pentecostal churches, that I've heard people say, the Lord's coming back this year. And I think you're crazy. (laughs) And, and, And their reason why is, well, look at the news. My grandma, you call my grandma any day of the week. And this is the conversation, Jess, I hope you're being good, because it's getting bad out there. I saw on the news the other day, this guy killed blah, 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 and I think the enemy is coming. I'm like, wow, Grandma, thanks for the pick-me-up today. <laughs> it's a lot. That's my grandma's conversation every time. Like, she is just amped up waiting for the return of Christ, because it's all bad now. The truth is, there are some really bad things happening right now. There's some also some really good things happening. I don't, are we living in the tribulation? I don't know. But am I, I think it's ridiculous when we begin to take these prophetic things and because we're looking for it, we're waiting for it, we begin to assign names and false prophets and antichrist to every person. I think it would have been really okay for early Christians to say Nero is probably the antichrist. That would have made sense. I think we could have looked at Hitler or Stalin and said, Antichrist, mass destruction, mass murder. And all of a sudden, that's past. It's out of our frame of reference. So now we get people on Facebook all the time, Obama has got to be the Antichrist. Like, what? Do you not even remember some like ruthless dictators in history at all? Like, no. So Obama's the guy because he doesn't, you don't like his medical... I'm, I'm not being political here. I'm just saying. We can get really ridiculous as a society, especially when we're trying to study the end times, when we're trying to figure out what is Christ doing, what's happening in the world. We can begin to assign things to everybody while missing the point. We can get really scared. And instead of, rather than making monsters out of everyone, what we should be doing is making a savior and a redeemer out of one in this passage. We can look at this and try to find the demon behind every curtain, or we can see the Savior that's in here, that the Son of Man is returning, that the Son of Man came to save. 
first option is getting stuck in, in fear mode. I think the second option, we can get stuck in disbelief. We can look at this and say, oh, this is so long ago. I've heard so many prophecies from these crazy ladies, and, and I've read so many things online. Don't you remember that guy a couple years ago said this is the end of the world? That's not going to happen. And so what we can do is we can begin to say it didn't happen so far, and it's been so many years since Jesus said this, that it's not happening at all. I think it's interesting that um, Jesus refers to the fig tree again. Do you guys remember? We've, we've talked about fig trees a lot. In Mark, Jesus is constantly talking about fig trees. And he refers to the fig tree saying this. And I think this is interesting, and I'm not going to tell you there's a bunch of theologians who will back me up or whatever. This is just a concept that I've seen and I've looked at over the last few days. Jesus is referring to the fig tree saying, look at the fig tree. You know when it's the season because of the fig tree. The same thing you should know the seasons in, this, in the world. What, was, what, what did we see about the fig tree two chapters earlier? Jesus looks at the fig tree. It showed signs of having fruit and being in season while it wasn't in season. Does that, does that seem to like kind of seem a little bit confusing here? So Jesus is referring to something that didn't work two chapters earlier as saying, look, you should know things by their fruit. Even though we had to curse this one because it was showing signs of fruit and not having fruit. Jesus does not give us a, th- a system here to say, hey, look, everything's going to line up the way you like it to line up here. So you will know the day and the hour. But we do have that promise that he's coming. See, I love that he says, see that signs, no one knows the day or the hour. There are signs that it's happening, but nobody can tell you, even the son of, even Jesus himself and the angels do not know when it's all going to be done. He's not giving us a formula to figure out the signs so we can predict the future. He's giving us a formula so we can predict that he is coming. We know he is coming. I said earlier about all those different pre-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, all those things. They can't agree on how he'll come or when he'll come, but they all agree that he will come. He will come. I think the third option that I want to discuss this morning and I want, we should leave with, instead of being stuck in fear mode when we read this passage or being stuck in disbelief, we should be waiting with joy. We should be knowing with joy in our hearts that he is coming. What your end time map, Jared and I used to look at end time maps all the time because they are awesome and hilarious. They got so many pictures of different beasts and stuff and they're all a little bit different and they're like this big because you can't fit it all into one paper of, you know, you got guys going up, Jesus coming down and angels over here and fire over there. It's, it's cool and it can be intense. Whatever one you subscribe to, whatever one you think is yours, doesn't really matter. If you love or, or if you hate the Left Behind series, it doesn't really matter. If you like the Kirk Cameron version or the Nicolas Cage version, it doesn't really matter. Christ is coming again. That's what matters. That's what I need to subscribe to. That's what, as, a, as City Lights Church, that's what we focus on, that he is returning again. He's returning again to restore the earth. To make all things new, to bring peace. He's, he's coming again to rule and to reign. There won't be chaos. There won't be wars. There won't be famine. He's coming to bring his rule and his justice. That's good. To put an end to disease, to put an end to war, to sadness, to homelessness, to abandonment, and selfishness. He's coming to put an end to it. 
that's good. Just this last week, um, my dad talked about it a little bit in our, our, in our men's breakfast. But this last week, Ash and, and Faith were out driving around, and there was a guy in the middle. It was a cold day, looking freezing, and he had a sign that just said, help. And so they went, and they gave him a blanket that we had in the car. They gave him food, and Faith was just, like, blown away. Her, her telling the story is one of the funniest things I've heard in a long time, of her giving this guy a blanket to keep. The truth is there's going to be a day where that does not need to happen, where I don't have to feed the homeless to, to restore brokenness, to counsel people, because his rule and his reign and his justice and his peace and his kingdom will be completely established. The Son of Man is coming, and we don't know when, but we do know his promise is here. So when I see the signs, when I see chaos in the world, when I see earthquakes and famine, I don't buckle up and sit down and wait for this thing to happen and do nothing. When I see the signs, I don't wait for impact. I try to be the impact. That's what we are called to do as Christians. We are supposed to be the impact, not waiting for it. I, I, growing up, like I said before, there's this constant mentality in our songs and in, in the way we say things that we're just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. That like, it'll be, won't it be a day when we get over yonder? And we, we, all these songs in my childhood are full of this imagery that we cannot wait to get out of here because this place is awful. That's not what this passage is about. When I see a famine, I need to be reminded to see the signs. I need to be reminded that he's coming and he's good. When I see brokenness, I need to be reminded that he is good, that he's going to heal things, that he's going to make all things new. When I see divorce, when I see stealing, when I see terrorism, when I see sin, I need to see these things and not live in fear, but see these things and say, how do I be the kingdom now? And how do I know that he is good? How am I reminded that this is going to be taken care of? I should be filled with joy waiting for his return while doing something. See, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He's said in this, even though all these things can happen and, and we can get lost, my words are true and they're a promise. I, nothing will break this promise. I will return. The Son of Man is coming again. See, there's a part of me that really, really can't wait, and there's another part of me that I don't want it to happen anytime soon. Let me explain. There are people in my family who are lost and broken. There are people in the city who are lost and broken. There are people in the city who haven't experienced the salvation of Christ and knowing his goodness and, ret- and turning to him and making him Lord of our life. And can I even say there are probably people in this church who don't know him, who haven't made him Lord of their life. So in some ways I cannot wait, and in other ways I don't want it to happen yet because there's still things to be done. You and I are not given this passage so that we can sit around thinking, check, I'm good to go. That's not what it's for. Can we look at that last passage real quick? Verse 32. But concerning the day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard and keep awake, 
For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. And when he leaves his home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeepers to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. When we wait for him, when we have this promise of him returning to make all things new, we have each been given work to do. We've all been given an assignment to use our gifts to go and to make disciples, to baptize them. We've all been given that charge. And so we can either do our own lives and ignore this text and say it's not happening and just do our own thing, build our own kingdom, or we can build his in the meantime. We can be that servant that says, I got my job to do, and I'm ready for him to return. I'm constantly aware that he will return. I hope that we can, we can be a church that instead of figuring out all these different things of what the interpretations mean, we can recognize that his promise is here, that he is returning and he's restoring all things. Let that be the mountain that we die on. Let that be the goal of our church. Too many of us live in a fear of his return. There should be fear and joy of his return. I hope, I hope that makes sense this morning. I know this wasn't the most happy-feeling message of all time. This wasn't the most normal one. Um, like I said, I, I skip over a lot of es- eschatology in my conversations because I think we can get really distracted. We can get really lost in trying to figure out our charts But there's one purpose behind it all, and that's for us to be working. You have jobs. I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm talking about physical, real jobs. You have careers. You have school. You have families where there are broken and lost people. We have a city that doesn't know Jesus. There is work for us as servants to do. There are people that need to hear the gospel. That they need to hear proclaimed that he is coming to make all things new. That he will return. And it's not a lie. It's not something he made up. He said it will last forever. These words are true. And I believe them. And I hope you do this morning too.